We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. Now, this episode is a little bit different with 30 or so people in the room right now. We're lucky we don't have our pyjamas on like we usually do. No, and I was actually thinking before, I'm so glad I put on my leak-proof bra before I came because there's that many babies here. Even if I'm not due for a feed right now, I am lactating. So thank you for bringing along your cute babies. I'm sure there'll be an interesting soundscape in the back of this one. But yeah, we're super excited. We usually say to all our guests before we get started, Claire can vouch for this. We usually say we sit down, we get settled. It's normally via Zoom, just the two of us in the room, but this is a bit different. And we say there's a reason and we don't do this live. And that is because if you get halfway through a sentence and you want to stop, you can. We will edit it out. You will sound like a genius. So today that is completely out the window. No pressure, Claire. Yes. Um, But that's what we're used to. So if we start a sentence and then stop and start again, don't think we've completely lost it. It's just what we're used to, but yeah. Yeah. So we would just like to give a big thanks to Bonds and their newbies range uh, for hosting this intimate brunch. We are so humbled to meet all of you. Some of... You too, girlfriend. Some of you are friends of ours and some we have just met, but we are really excited to give this a go and thank you for coming. Now, we are going to introduce the beautiful Claire. Claire is from The Womb Rooms, which is an educational platform on Instagram, and she has also seen more of me uh, than most people other than my husband, maybe. Um, She was there for the delivery of Goldie, my second, and Pearl, my third. And yeah, she has honestly been a part of two of the best days of my life and kind of hardest too. So, so stoked to have you here. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi. Um, so I'm Claire. I'm absolutely honoured to be here for this first ever event and feel yeah really honoured that I got the opportunity. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, I'm a registered midwife. I'm a mum of three and I'm creator of The Womb Rooms, which will soon be postnatal support and lactation services as well as yeah just content and information online at the moment. And um, yeah, so I've been there I've had three of my own I know what it's like it's beautiful it's hard it's complex so (laughs) enjoy the ride (laughs) now our episode today that we're doing it's called newborn myths versus facts we did a similar one around pregnancy with Dr Timmy who's an obstetrician because we just feel like when it comes to pregnancy when it comes to birth when it comes to newborns there's so much noise so much noise and you don't know what to take on and what to not listen to And unfortunately, we found out with the pregnancy one that 75% of it is bullcrap anyway. 
So we were like, if you're going to have this noise coming at you, it may as well be accurate. So we're going to be saying some statements to Claire. She's going to tell us if it's a myth or a fact so that you guys can kind of better weed through that knowledge. There's also going to be a chance at the end to ask questions, ask your own myth versus fact. So if you think of something, maybe write it down. I don't know how all your brains are functioning, but I have to write everything down and we'll get started. All right. So the first myth versus fact, I need to bathe my baby every day. Myth. Yes. <laughs> I don't think this is a surprise. So babies are born with vernix covered in that beautiful moisturising protective barrier, um, which we know is so beneficial and important for them. So the longer we can leave that on and let the benefits transfer to our babies, the better. So the World Health Organisation says wait 24 hours. I would say wait two to three days if you can. You can absolutely, if you feel like you want to give the hair a little wash, if your baby's got lots of hair and lots of juices in it, you can certainly just wrap them up and swaddle them and, and wash their little hair under a tap um, and keep all that goodness on their skin. It helps coat their digestive tract, their respiratory tract. It helps immune boosting. It's just so good for them. So the longer you can leave it, the better. And what about after those first few days? Like once you go home or maybe say like around six months <laughs> is once, twice a week, is that enough? What do you want me to say? So? Yes, that's more than <laughs> enough. <laughs> no, once or twice a week. I mean, they don't sweat. They're not running around exercising. Obviously, when you um, introduce solids, that poo's a little bit more yeah. odor-filled. So you know, it's up to you. A lot of people implement baths as part of a little routine and that's fine if that suits you guys and that's something that you want to do, but they certainly don't need it. How good's having the pressure off not having to bathe your child? I just would do that, yeah, (laughs) pretty much forever. I'll just add to that, especially in those early days, babies can't um, regulate their own temperatures. So when you do wet them, they find it really hard to up their temperature again. They get cold really easily. So that's another factor for considering when to bath them in those early days. Another reason not to bathe them, great. You can't know if you're feeding your bub enough from the breast as you can't measure it. Mm. This is one that I find I have to convince mums of a lot in those early days and it's really understandable because I think we made this joke last time but our breasts aren't see-through so um, we can't see what they're making. We can only tell by how our babies are behaving and how our body feels. So essentially are, are your babies gaining weight firstly? Is their output good? So are they having lots of wheeze and poos? Um, have they cleared that meconium through? Are they looking vigorous and alert and beautiful and pink and luscious? Or are they, you know, dry? Are they unsettled? So all those sorts of things are indicators that our baby's getting enough milk. But we, you know, it's never just one thing. It's a whole. So look at the baby's whole picture. And if you're obviously ever concerned, you know, see a doctor about it. I feel like the only way that I knew that my milk was coming in or if I needed to feed was just like check one of my breasts and just like hold one. I'll be like, okay, left is definitely fuller than the right. And then I would go, I used to use a like a band as well around my wrist when I, yeah, but I first never started out. To change it. No, you never, yeah. you never did. So you just sort of winged it. And that's yeah. probably why my left is the oversupply. <laughs> and those early days, your breasts are so full and hard a lot of the time, but you will feel them soften after a feed if your baby's draining the breast well. So that's something that you get to know over time as well. I found it was the first time I wasn't so much concerned because my milk came in, it was obvious it had come in, it was obvious that there was still milk there, but it was the second time when it regulated faster. I remember going to a midwife appointment and being like, I'm not making milk anymore. They're so soft already. And she was like, no, that's the beauty of your boobs that they know 
more what they're doing this yeah, time. They so become that was so super much, reassuring. Sorry. You're they right. become so much more efficient the second time around and they your babies drain them more easily and they become less full quicker. Can I just say how impressed I am that we've got a whole room of women and then we have babies and it's relatively quiet. There's this just so impressive. much rocking out the corner of my eye. I feel like I need to do this in my chair. Just like it's freaking get fabulous. the on. <laughs> All right, moving on. Myth versus fact. I should change my bub with every feed overnight. Please be a myth. Myth. Yes. <laughs> um, no, definitely not. It's very stimulating to change your baby's nappy overnight. So unless you know they've done a big poo or they're not settling, don't bother. <laughs> okay. Can I ask, if you've just finished that feed and they've fallen asleep and you feel they've done a poo but they're still asleep, can you just leave it? You can? It, yes. Not if, gonna if they don't have, no, if they don't have nappy rash or, you know, yeah, leave it. Yeah, not okay. nappy rash they're not yet. waking. Afterwards you might. <laughs> you're going to have to change it. But I do find that's where the bond zippies come in when you do have to do those 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. feeds and they need a change because sometimes they do just poo with every feed. So much easier than buttons and press suds to 100%. just zip, zip. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, as a midwife, we get super excited in the hospital when you come in with the zippies over the buttons because it's often the dad's job to do that, um, you know, in the middle of the night and watching <laughs> them do buttons is just next level funny. So they usually throw their hands up in the air and walk away in a little tanty saying, I don't know. So the zips are great. I don't know. I wouldn't mind watching that. <laughs> you will spoil your baby if you hold them too much. Oh, this is the biggest load of shit I've ever heard. And I honestly, it just infuriates me because I think it's just so much pressure for mums so I feel like you know we know it goes against everything I know as a mum and every instinct we have as a mum to respond to our baby's needs and I can only say that for the first three months especially responding to your baby's needs and having and being flexible within this is so important for their brain development and their emotional regulation so you know making eye contact with your baby, talking to your baby, picking them up, cuddling them when they're crying, going to them, feeding them on demand, going to them in the nighttime. It's just so important. So yeah, just forget if anyone says that to you, just say that's great and just move on and pick your baby up and cuddle and follow your instincts. But there is a time, like there is an age, right, where we just have to put them down like and 33, say... 33. Yeah. 36. <laughs> but it is nice to know there is benefits because as much as we can say, you know, it's beautiful to respond to your baby, like there are times where you just think, I just don't want anyone touching me. I don't want to hold this baby anymore there's things that I can't ignore any longer like no one has any clean underwear and so sometimes it is nice in those moments of frustration to remember there are benefits to this this is not just a slog for no reason yeah and it's also important to know that you know if you're having a really hard day and your baby's really unsettled and you just need to step away for a minute and you're not feeling like you're coping as well as you normally would that's okay you're not going to damage your baby doing that but we're just talking generally responding to your baby's (laughs) needs is so important. I felt that with my first, that was a really hard lesson to learn because obviously you've got time and you want to attend to them. And then by the second, I was kind of like, you know what, for my mental health, I need to pop you down. She was a horrendous crier. So it was like, you need to give me a break. And five minutes, it feels really long, but it's also sometimes they can like 
they like to cry so they can let it out and then you come back in your energy actually ends up calming down and I feel like they sense that well let's be honest if it was socially acceptable for us to just scream and have a big tanty every now and then we'd probably feel heaps better about yeah. it so yeah it's not a bad yeah. thing that's yeah. not socially acceptable it's not not it. all right fact verse myth if your baby spits up or vomits you should change your diet as the feeder not myth or fact. There's lots of really innocent reasons that babies vomit or posset, as we sometimes call it. And often it doesn't affect the baby at all. Often they're just happy little chuckers. Sophie can vouch for this. I think I've everyone's seen Has her. anyone had a happy chucker? <laughs> I've had one. Yeah. Oh, not that many. No. But look, it's, sometimes it's that you've got really fast letdowns, you've got oversupply. There's lots of reasons. Sometimes babies just guzzle at the breast and, you know, can't keep it down and it just comes straight back up. It's not digested. And that's okay. Obviously, if it's in, it's also associated with lots of unsettled behavior and something doesn't feel right for you. Your baby's not settling after feeds. Your baby appears to be really uncomfortable and it's throwing up a lot. Um, if it affects their weight gain or anything like that, obviously, yeah, get that checked out. But in general, vomiting doesn't bother the babies too much. So don't, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. It bothers you, but it doesn't bother the baby. <laughs> it's a laundry problem. Yeah. yeah. Now, dummies, pacifiers, nipple shields are bad for breastfeeding. <laughs> Myth. <laughs> um, I think the general concern about this is in the first few weeks. So um, of establishing feeds. So if you're wanting to introduce a dummy or a bottle or a pacifier or nippy, if feeding's not going well for you in those first few days and someone recommends nipple shields, it's always a good idea to wait until supply is established. So that's usually between two and four weeks. Okay. So if you're, if you're bottle feeding a baby and you want to introduce a dummy, it doesn't matter. The concern is about confusion of the nipple and also using it as a mechanism to delay feeds which can affect your supply or you know settle a baby when in actually actual fact they should be feed, breastfeeding so waiting for your supply to establish is a good idea if you're introducing any of these things nipple shields are different again because if you're using a nipple shield generally breastfeeding is not going so well and you might have cracked nipples you might have inverted flat nipples and you need extra assistance and that's fine too but yeah just waiting for milk to come in or getting your milk supply in first and then you know go for it. No one told me about nipple shields when I was first breastfeeding and I had the worst cracked nipples. They were bleeding. I was in so much pain. This happened with Yumi as well. And I just wish that I had have like given them a go even a few years ago because it would have, I think, helped my breastfeeding journey just in stages where they were like, I, I was just like, I can't have you on my breast because it was excruciating. What did you do? So I actually expressed um, and we are in the midst of understanding that may or may not be um, what is acceptable no, now. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have damaged nipples and you need to rest them, nipple shields can be amazing pumping and resting those nipples so that they can heal and then getting help, you know, reattaching and learning and getting an optimal latch from there. So, and if it yeah. wasn't for those things, like the for me, the pump, I don't think I would have continued my breastfeeding journey because it was so excruciating. So I was very like you know, happy with the fact that I could do the the pumping and I could also do the bottle, like my husband would take the bottle and it would just give my breast a little bit of a reprieve and I was able to continue that journey. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, mm. I mean, we have amazing tools. There's nothing wrong with using them. It's just bearing in mind that if you need guidance, contact an LC and just get a bit of guidance around it because there's lot many things you can do and giving up breastfeeding when you don't really want to but you're just feeling like it's so damn hard is, you know, really sad when you could get a bit of help. Absolutely. Okay, myth first fact. Bub will be uncomfortable in lots of layers. Oh, myth. So as we discussed before, babies can't thermoregulate. They can't regulate their own temperature. So, you know, it obviously depends on whether it's summer or winter and what you dress them in. You know, a simple onesie in terms of a summer or a winter. In winter, put an extra um, blanket and an extra singlet on Bubby. But um, they, that won't make them uncomfortable at all. It'll make them cosy. If their temperature's right, they're going to be cosy. And layers are great because you can just keep on taking them. It's like an onion that smells good. <laughs> <laughs> Weird analogy. Uh, I've actually used uh, Bond's newborn range for all of my kids. So this is going on 10 years now. And the bamboo viscose is so soft and so perfect for layering. I'll show you the little pants here. I actually wish that I could have a onesie in my size. Let's all just imagine Jade in those little pants right now. (laughs) How cute would I look? They'd actually match your top. Yeah, they would actually. Harry high pants. Yeah. All right. You will instantly fall in love with your newborn. Mm, that's a myth too. Um, I think we'd all like to believe that that just happens um, naturally and it, do, it does in most cases, but there's lots of things that can affect that early bonding with your baby. You might have had um, some antenatal anxiety or depression. You may have had an adverse or suboptimal outcome to your birth that didn't go as planned. You might have had an emergency situation. Your baby might have been taken to special care. There's lots of things. It does come and uh, I remember with my first, I don't know if it has anything to do necessarily with how they look, but she was a girl and she, she, we'll she was to listen to this one. I'll tell my second not to listen to it because oh, I, okay. um, and look, she just looked like me. She came out. I remember looking at her. I just instantly fell in love with her. She looked like she belonged to my family and I just knew who she was. You yeah. know, I looked in her eyes. I had my son and he looked nothing like me. It was, I didn't recognize him at all. And I just didn't feel that. My mother-in-law walked in and said, oh, he's the keys. He belongs to their family. So you know, Ooh, I he think looks like my husband. <laughs> it's going to take me longer to bond with you. But no, it, it can take it can take time, and it did take a few weeks for that. So that is really normal, and that's okay. And obviously, if you feel like it's prolonged and you're really struggling to to bond and connect with your baby, seek some professional help. But generally, it'll come. And I agree with that. On a more serious note, I feel like, especially if you've had more than one child, when you do give birth, and for some reason you feel a disconnection or you feel like you can't love them instantly you automatically think you're a bad mother and you automatically think that you're not going to bond with your baby which just pretty much amplifies the guilt that you have inside already so I mean it's so easy for us to say just know that you know this can change and you can feel better down the track but the truth is if you do feel those signs and you do feel off have a conversation with your friends have a conversation with a professional or a healthcare or psychologist and we we really do say and especially late if you are pregnant, it's really nice to book in a therapist appointment right at the start of your pregnancy. You may not need it nine months down the track, but if you have that there ready to go and you don't know what your birth is going to be like, I've got goosebumps, that 
you have that opportunity ready to go. You don't have to wait to just get into someone because by then it could take too long and you could end up, you know, in a more severe um, situation. So, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I say that to so many of the mums that I see antenatally. Just have it. You can cancel it if you don't need it, but it's so nice to have that support organised in advance because when you're in that situation, booking those sorts of appointments and getting yourself into a headspace of, um, you know, having conversations like that, that's extra work. That's an extra load. And you've already got a newborn baby. You're always going to have something to talk about. It's like you're, yeah. you've had a pretty major life change. Yeah. Like not yeah. to make a joke of it, no. but even if you just no, think sit them as, down and tell them your birth story. It's a like, birth debrief. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like everyone should do that anyway. I, I mean, everyone so. should talk. Absolutely. Tell me that you haven't wanted to discuss your birth with someone. It's so important. Yeah. yeah. Now, teething babies get a fever. Uh, myth. So... If your baby is, particularly if your baby's under three months, not that you usually babies have teeth before three months, but occasionally. <laughs> born with teeth yeah, yeah. or is that, yes. Yeah, no, What's randomly. on that? Oh, oh, oh are you joking? <laughs> usually we would Google stuff in that, between That's the me. most important data that Claire keeps in her mind is how many teeth are born with teeth. Would it be safe? I've teeth. been a midwife for 13 years or something, 14 years. I've never seen a baby born with teeth, so oh, it's pretty rare. No, I haven't, okay. but I do know that it is possible. Let's Google that later, everybody. <laughs> but no, look, they can have a rise in body temp, but it shouldn't be a fever. So if your baby has a fever, you know, babies, it doesn't go unnoticed when they're teething. You know, they do start biting, gnawing, drooling more, acting a bit frustrated. They can bite down on, clamp down on a breast if they're, or the bottle teeth, you find that they're biting down on it, but they shouldn't get a fever. No. So if they do have a fever, then it's, it's something else. So make sure you get that checked out. Myth versus fact. Formula before bed will make your baby sleep longer. Mm. Uh, myth. This sort of comes about, I think, really from the idea that formula is amazing and we're so lucky that we have it. Breast milk and formula are so similar in terms of nutrient content, okay, but the the protein in the two milks are different. So formula is higher in casein with protein and breast milk is higher in whey protein, which is much more easily digestible. So I guess if you're looking at it in terms of baby's levels of satiety or, you know, contentness and fullness, a formula-fed baby is going to digest slower and be fuller for longer, okay? That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to sleep longer. Babies wake for all sorts of things. They wake because they're hot. They wake because they're cold. They wake because they need emotional regulation. They wake because they need comfort. What else? (laughs) It's never-ending, really. They just wake. Um, But, yeah, I think you just really taking a bit of a risk if the only reason that you're giving formula is to help your baby sleep longer I don't think it can work the opposite I did direction try that. did you M- mum told me to I was like I'll give anything a go yeah yeah and you hear it and it's so tempting to do it but you could you could be it's like rolling a dice really because that could make them more uncomfortable trying a new food you know and more unsettled totally. um, but they're still going to need you at the end of the day so And we know that it's so healthy and normal for babies to wake regularly throughout the night to be checked on. And that's a survival mechanism. So, um, yeah, it's healthy. But it's hard. (laughs) So hard. Newborns can self-settle. Uh, myth, absolute myth. Newborns need us. They, I know it's sounding like a broken record. They require us for so much, but no, they can't self-settle under three months at all. They need us to regulate 
their emotions, for the brain development. They need us for comfort. They can't do that on their own. This is learned skills that newborns need to learn from us. So unfortunately, um, (laughs) my recommendation is to be responsive and flexible to their needs, particularly in the first few months. And yeah, they will grow out of it. They'll need you less, but yeah, it is a phase of life. So why do some like sleep through eight weeks? Yeah, they're just... (laughs) (laughs) And can you put in a request form? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no returns policy. Oh, look, look, some babies, babies have different sleep needs. So um, you have babies that have high sleep needs and you have babies who have low sleep needs. So a newborn will sleep somewhere between nine and 20 hours. Um, Oh, that's a big... That's a huge difference. So some babies are just low sleep needs babies and you're just really lucky if you have one that's a high sleep need baby and wants to sleep for 20 hours of a 24-hour period really and you can't order it. (laughs) Sophie's like, great, I'm not going again. It's all right. I know, I know. All right, myth first fact, you have to constantly trim your newborn's nails so they don't scratch themselves. Myth, you don't have to, you can. Um, Newborn's nails are so soft, they're like paper thin. So they generally just peel off on their own. There are little tiny snail clippers that are for babies. But uh, like I find a lot of parents don't want to use those because they're scared that they're going to clip their little baby's um, skin. So look, it's optional if you want to, if your baby's scratching yourself, you can also just use like preventative sort of measures. So socks or mittens or little newborn onesies with the you know, hand pocket and use those so they don't scratch themselves. I in used the to meantime. chew them off with my own yeah. teeth. Yeah, you can just do get that, that little teeth here. And are you one of those people that sucks the snot with your mouth as well? No, no. you draw the line there. I draw okay. the line. Yeah, Pearl was born with the sharpest nails. I'm actually still yet to cut them. I just cover them with what, the so ones. She's just like. <laughs> I feel like, were we all Guinness Book of Record yes. people? You know that picture of the lady yes. who had the longest nails in the world? That's what Pearl's going to get to before I get around to cutting them. She uses them as spoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is an interesting one. You shouldn't take your newborn out for the first few weeks. Guilty. Mm. Myth. It's it's not a, you know, the range of, of normal for everyone's so different. Some people love getting out of the house in those first few days and getting some sunshine. Some love to stay indoors for 40 minutes. Culturally, some. 40 minutes. 40 <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that needed correction. <laughs> 40 days. Um, <laughs> 40 minutes is a little too brief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Stay home you. longer than 40 minutes, please. <laughs> or don't, whatever. Sorry, that's live, isn't it? Yeah. No, 40 days. So it's, it honestly depends on what you're comfortable with. Obviously, um, you know, if you're worried about vaccinations during COVID times, it's been so much more stressful for parents, I think, with so many different things going around. But um Ultimately, it's a personal preference with that and there's no right or wrong to it. Certainly, I know that babies love, you know, to be sensory nourished. So they do love getting out, even if it's out into fresh air and, you know, sunshine and, you know, developing their circadian rhythms and all that sort of stuff. So getting them up and out into fresh air. You don't have to go to shopping centres necessarily where there's lots of germs, but, um, you know, it's up to you, that one. It's it's a myth, in my opinion. (laughs) You can do what you like. Good, good. Now, uh, the leaps are the same for all babies. Hmm. I feel like there's going to be a lot of like differences of opinion. And, I, and, you know, some of the biggest feedback we get as midwives is how 
varied our information is to women postnatally and it's so confusing because they're told this by this person we're all going to come with different experiences and different values and whatever but in terms of leaps it's very controversial but evidence-based there's nothing backing leaps okay and development is not linear in my opinion so not all babies are going to develop at the same time in the same way it's developmental over there. Oh my gosh, look. I mean, how so delicious cute. is that? It's yeah, ridiculous. it's so beautiful. Yeah, they're just not all going to develop in the, on the same spectrum as each other. So sort of saying that babies are all going to hit certain points at certain times together is just not true in my opinion. I believe there's patterns of behaviours that, that usually coincide with you know, things like developmental milestones. So, you know, babies are going to be processing lots of new information. They're going to be more wakeful during these times. And yes, that might happen at around a certain mark, but they're not also, they're not regressing. They're actually advancing when they're doing that. So you're calling them regressions is just totally crazy because your baby's actually getting more clever at that time. So, um, I just don't think we can compare. I really like to blame a lot of things on developmental periods. My sister-in-law and I have this running joke whenever someone is just being a little shit or stuff is going on, we look at each other and we're like, yeah, that's developmental. And then we have a little giggle, but it makes us feel good because we're like, I don't know what's going on there. But but that's, it's it's funny you say that because that's how I felt when I looked at one of the apps that talks about leaps is in front of you is a storm cloud forevermore. And yeah. I was just like, why do I want to know Setting that? I know some people love it, but it wasn't for me. But I was just like, there's storm, there's not a blue sky inside. <laughs> no, because yeah. you're forever on a leap, a leap, or you're in one or you're anticipating one. And that's not helpful to our anxiety yeah. levels. Like just deal with what enjoy your baby and deal with what comes when it comes because you know, you're going to have different periods of different things, but yeah, waiting for that event to happen and also making excuses for behaviours that maybe should be explored or investigated. Mm, um, that is uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Because so maybe stop blaming. Yeah. Mum says I'm developmental and I'm 36 nearly. You are. You are. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Always evolving. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. true. <laughs> now we wanted to give you guys the chance if you wanted to ask Claire any questions, any newborn myth versus facts, the floor is yours. Ooh. Make them easy. Shay, Shay Curry, you can go first. So the question was, are some people more prone to mastitis than others? Uh, so if you've had mastitis previously, you are more likely to get it in the future, definitely. If you've had oversupply, a history of oversupply, so yeah, <laughs> then you are more likely to get it again. So sort of knowing, I mean, I guess you don't always know until you're having a subsequent baby what your risk factors are. The first time around, you're not going to know that. So there's no actual risk factors necessarily first time around unless you, you know, you're experiencing those things. But yeah, second time, those things are risk factors. So being aware of that, preparing, putting in place things that can help the next time around is, you know, a great idea in that situation and knowing the signs to look out for. Katie? How important is it to get your baby up to birth weight within the period of time that your midwife gives you? And what is that period of time? That was impressive. She's good like that. So babies are born at a certain weight. By day three, they lose weight. And 
within a hospital system, they will look at is that baby's weight loss within a 10% range, okay? And then we like to have seen a gain by day five. If that baby has lost further weight or if the baby has sort of stayed stagnant, then I guess you'd be thinking about putting in measures to increase supply or top up feeds or things like that. But it, like I said before, you're, you're looking at a whole picture, like weight gains one part of it. So you're going to look at the output of the baby, the nature of the baby, you know, is the baby a good color? Is it responsive? Is it hitting developmental milestones? If all those things are happening, weight gains a spectrum. So you need to, you know, is your, is your baby on the slighter end of the spectrum? You know, you have babies in the 90th percentile, you have babies on the 10% percentile. What were they born at? So it's all relative. So if you had, I mean, you're a slight build, you've probably got a slight little baby. So if, if they, as long as they're gaining and they're thriving, you're okay. I remember Mia used to be like, she was the tiniest baby and she wasn't even, they used to in that book that you get, this little rainbow chart. And she was well and truly off the chart, but they were like, as long as she's following her own little rainbow, she's absolutely fine. I was like, oh. well, we had to see a pediatrician when Poppy was born because she was born born with a I think like 75th percentile head which was kind of her but <laughs> once she had her like four week four week checkup she was off the chart and they were like oh she's jumped percentiles you know we need to get that investigated and Nick and I literally walked into the pediatrician's office and he just looked at Nick and goes well there's your answer <laughs> <laughs> measured Nick's head was like yeah you're on like the 98th percentile she's fine I was like Fabulous. <laughs> Thank you for waiting till afterbirth. That was very kind of you. <laughs> Any other questions? Greta. So anecdotally, Greta <laughs> here. She's basically saying she doesn't believe you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I do, but I'm like, signs of sickness. Greta is saying often when my bubs are teething they do have a fever but there's no other signs of sickness so please tell me why they have a fever. I don't believe that it's a myth. Go back to your books. I guess uh, you know what you have to sort of go with the myth side because you can't make excuses for having a fever when it could be something else. It's not a typical reaction to teething necessarily. It's like um, even though it's not a foreign object because it's in our body but you know it's coming up as though it's a foreign object. It's testing your baby's immune response. So sometimes babies con contract other things in the meantime. They're also starting to, you know, yeah. they're at that point where they're starting to be on the floors, pick yeah. up germy things, get different bugs, that sort of thing, putting things in their mouth, all that sort of thing. So that there are, but in general, it's not necessarily from the teething. And it should, you should just be aware that maybe there's other things going on. Yeah. Do you believe it now? I do. Good. There's a floating hand up the back, but I can't see your head. Oh, that's okay. No, stay there. If you have a baby that's sleeping longer periods overnight than three or four hours, do you have to wake them up to feed? Uh, no. So if everything's normal, if your baby's weight gains everything we talked about before and everything's going well. As long as your baby's getting eight to 12 breastfeeds in a 24 hour period. So if they've gone a longer stint overnight, say they've gone six hours, they might wake up and want to cluster feed for two hours and have a really good full. That's okay. So be flexible within, feed on demand, follow their cues. That's what 
will I'll always advise that you do. Like if they're sleeping for a longer stint overnight, that's great. Take Don't it. Don't tell anyone at Mother's Group ever. <laughs> Keep, it to, Keep it to yourself if you yeah. want friends. <laughs> Especially if you know you've got good supply and they're, they're getting enough food, it's really looking at a 24-hour period because they're going to change their – they might feed – some babies might feed every two to three hours regularly. Some babies might have longer stints. Some babies might be every hour. Any other – oh, yes. Does being pregnant with a baby that have lots of has lots of hair actually cause reflux? So I'll have to I have to go with myth in terms of evidence behind it. There is no evidence behind it. And I think I see lots of babies with lots of hair where the mums have had terrible reflux. <laughs> and we definitely always say, look, see? I know it's anecdotal. I've had reflux three times and my babies all look like they've had their heads like waxed. (laughs) But that's only three. So yeah. Yeah. So I have to go with myth in terms of the evidence behind it. But anecdotally, yeah. It's a fun thing to say, you know. There was one over here. Tiff. It was Tiff. Tiffy. Myth or fact that you have to burp after every feed? I feel like I haven't said a fact yet, but I'm going to go with myth again. (laughs) Uh, Again, it's a really controversial one. You will hear from a lot of people that you must spend time burping your baby. Babies generally will bring up their own wind, whether it comes out the top or the bottom. Giving babies an opportunity to burp is a good idea, but I wouldn't be doing it in the middle of the night, waking them up, stimulating them, popping them forward on your knee, giving them a tap, going, hey, and now I expect you to go back to sleep. And again, we were talking about the nappy change in terms of if you have a sleepy baby on the breast or on the bottle that's falling asleep mid-feed and you want to stir them up, it's a good opportunity to just bring them forward, stir them up a little bit and give them that opportunity and that bit bit of upright. But that can be unofficial. That can be on you, just on a bit of upright, leaning back on the bed, that sort of thing. They'll bring it up. I've got a question. Myth versus fact. Is Beyond the Bump the best podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Gem. Fact. Fact. See, we have a fact. We have a fact. Fantastic. Is that all the questions? Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Claire, and everyone else here. This has been so much fun. It's nice to have a few more bodies in the room and know that people are actually listening rather than just us speaking to a screen. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Bonds. Thank you, Claire. Thank Thank you, you, Jackie. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks, girls. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.